When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 267 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and today I've got Levon, better known as Barcelona, joining me. And Levon, you were a little upset with me on Monday's show. We talked all about Memphis Dubai, and well, you're the Dutchman. <laughs> and so today I've relegated you to just talking about all of the Euros, but that's because, Barcelona, I trust that you know all of the round of 16 teams and have a little thing or two to say about each of them. About most of them, not each of them. Um, I, I will say that the Euros have surprised me a lot so far because usually Copa America is the tournament that I like and the Euros kind of bore me, to be honest, because a lot of the Euros are just a lot of tactical matches where teams just play not to lose. But the football on display has been pretty tasty, this tournament. And um, it's the first time that I'm really into the tournament, the first time since a very long time. Yeah, I mean, I'll give my specific examples later on, but I think with the exception of, no offense to them, but Turkey and Russia, all those smaller teams, if you will, have kind of gone for it. They've had some pretty interesting tactics. And when you have those smaller teams that are willing to and trusting themselves to play with those systems, even a Hungary that we knew eventually Hungary would be the team knocked out in that group of death, but also, maybe they weren't going to for a few minutes there, if not for Leon Goretzka. So, yeah, I mean, even Hungary, just going for it without their best player, they were able to show you something and make this interesting. So, speaking of making it interesting, one of the, actually, it was the most lopsided match of the Euros, is where we start today's 
episode, and that is with Spain versus Slovakia. We're not really reviewing that match. More in line, are we getting ready for the group stage? But the way we're doing that is through the lens of Barcelona, where obviously with Spain, there are a bunch of little talking points here, right? Busquets, Eric Garcia, who isn't officially a Barca player, and then Jordi Alba and Pedri, they all started for Spain. So this had the most Barcelona flair of any game in the tournament so far, and Barca wins 5-0. And it's also a little note here that Spain has missed five straight spot kicks, which does make you think about the round of 16, about the penalty kicks potentially uh, upcoming. And then the big story here is Jordi Alba. He's been rumored heavily, maybe not necessarily just to be swapped with 22-year-old left center back for Inter, Alessandro Bastoni, but Inter is one of the few teams that can afford his wages, and they seem to like him. That's why you're hearing that. It's also been reported by Moises Lorenz and friend of the pod, Sam Marsden. So there are respectable journalists that are getting from real sources that Jordi Alba could potentially... At least not on his end. He wants to stay at the club, but at 32 and on his wages, a contract till 2024 and a 500 million buyout clause, the club is clearly willing to listen to offers. So that's where we're at with that. But yeah, give me your impressions of Spain. Give me your impressions of the Barcelona team or the, the Barcelona core, if you will, of those four players that, that did help get Spain to playing their best to, as, as the media has been saying, popping that cork off of the Spanish attack. Yeah, I think like what I'm always talk about is how people judge games by the goals instead of judging games by the by the actual play so the first two matches in which spain did not win they were not as bad as people say especially not as bad as some spanish media made them out to be uh they just wasted a lot of chances um the last match they played against an incredible weak incredibly weak team i think slovakia had no difference being no business being in an international tournament and they took all of their chances. So it was a kind of a perfect uh, situation for them. Uh, I thought Garcia was fine, but he did not have a lot to do. Pedri played well. Busquets played well. Obviously, it helps Pedri when he has Busquets behind them because they've been playing together for a season. Mm-hmm. I think the most curious thing is that, you know, everybody's talking about Gaia from Valencia and how we should sign him so that can, we can get rid of that bum, Jordi Alba. And who at 32 years old is uh, starting and starring for Spain right now, it's Jordi Alba. So I do think um, it's interesting to see what will happen this summer. I think there's a, definitely a case to be made to keep Jordi Alba because I, there are not many left backs in world football as good as him. However, he's 32 years old. We have, We are having a lot of difficulties trying to get rid of players and we're stuck with the wage bill. So of all the players that I would not get rid of, Joel Yaba might be the one that makes most sense to listen to offers. Um, and it would be interesting to see if by removing Jordi Alba from the team and replacing him with a player that is not as good as Jordi Alba, whether it's somebody that we sign or somebody that we already have, if that will make the team better or worse just because of the dynamics involved. What do you think? Well, I, I think in the case of Jordi Alba, it's difficult to have discourse on the internet, as it always is, because wage bill, talking about the wage bill is an unemotional thing, right? That it's, people want to argue as to why his on-field or on-pitch performance is what causes a transfer. Like that, that, that those two things always have to correlate. In this case, the future of Alba, Busquets, Sergio Roberto, Gerard Piquet, those all come down to the fact that they are high earners. They did a lot of winning for a lot of years. They won your club a lot of trophies, and now they're paid too much, especially as they 
enter the twilight of their careers. And there's no emotion into that. Jordi Alba, not even advanced metrics, just watch Barcelona. I mean, not even his connection with Messi, but he's one of the best, arguably the best attacking, just pure attacking left backs in the world. And he's still as a walkabout as his defense can be. His advanced metrics still say that his, the pressures that he adds in the final third, especially in that 3-5-2, he still does his job. And he does 70 to 80% of what is expected of a defensive or defensive left backs in the modern game. So, I mean, his defensive metrics, as far as pressures and things, aren't that different from Ferland Mendy for Real Madrid, who we, you know, we praise this all around great left back, right? That's what Ferland Mendy is, because he can attack and he can defend. But Jordi Alba is leagues beyond Ferland Mendy and the attacking side of the ball. And then defensively, of course, yes, he gives a little bit up, but that's also not the type of player that he is. So it's to try to take the emotion out of it is difficult. And I think that's why that conversation is most difficult between Alba and the club. Because it has nothing to do with his performances on the field. So for a team, for the club to have to say, hey, I'm sorry that some of your teammates kind of aren't worth how much we paid for them. You're going to be, we have to cut your head off because of how much we paid for Felipe Coutinho. And he hasn't been the player that we needed him to be for him, for him to be resold. I'm sorry that we spent this much money on Antoine Griezmann. And you have to be the reason. Because as you said last week, right? When you brought up Puj and Ilash Moriba, that there are players in the, on the Barcelona roster that could be you could get some money for, but they're not the ones that any of the fan base would want to get rid of, obviously, and that's why they're marketable. And so I think this is a chicken or the egg. We could just keep going around and around. But going back to Spain, though, real quick, that you're right, 1.33 goals per 90 for an expected goals of 2.43. And that's a huge differential of more than one goal per game that they were supposed to be scoring that they weren't. And then, of course, the floodgates opened. And I know that Alvaro Morato keeps being the, the scapegoat, but the numbers don't lie. There's a reason that you're going to blame the Ford if your actual goals are so much lower than your expected goals. And that said about Slovakia, now I think Slovakia, I'd push back a little bit. I think they did deserve to, to be there. But what I will say is this was the end of what was their golden, I know and I know, but this was the end of their golden generation, if you will, with Hamsik and a few of their other veterans. I don't think we're going to see Slovakia in a major tournament now potentially going forward for the next two or three cycles, just because this was the end of what was a core that were able to get that final bit of juice out of their qualifying. And that's what got them here. And you're right. Once they got here, they were completely overmatched and they weren't the team that they were when this golden generation for Slovakia was in the prime. So the names still matter. And I thought their experience got them here, but you're right. Talent wise and leg wise. And I mean, that's why when they went down by two, three goals in this match, that it became five, just because this was the end of the golden generation, and we saw their final moments there as that was it. So, yeah, I mean, I also think it's a bright side. I want to talk about Eric Garcia. I want to get your thoughts from him because I continue to push back on the fact that people saw one or two matches from him last year, and they said, hey, I don't like this guy. He's 20 years old, but he doesn't have it. He's going to be too slow. He has all these defensive frailties. But what he does for Spain, even next to Laporte, which America Laporte is not some speedster at the back, okay? But next to Laporte... Still, Garcia behind Busquets, I can live with that. And next, and with Alba as a left back, with Garcia in the back line, and with Busquets as a defensive midfielder, and Pedri next to him playing, cutting out those counterattacks, I mean, we've now seen what could be four of our 11 starters on a regular basis. And that's even Garcia not being a regular starter, being just a rotation piece, as he is for Spain. But, I mean, I, I'm not scared of Garcia. I don't understand it. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? 
Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy and all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content, everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I think he reads the game very well. So people always tend to look at defenders and they look at their strength and their speed. But if you read the game, then you don't need to be that fast, especially not uh, as a central defender. Now, you cannot have everybody in that defensive line be as slow as Eric Garcia. But, you know, Piquet is not fast. And he's been one of the best central defenders of the last 15 years. Um, what I would be a little bit more worried about is how vulnerable he is in, in the air. So uh, we saw that with, uh, with Macerano, where Macerano had seasons where when the team was not at its best, 
we ended up just giving up way too many chances uh, because Macerano could not defend crosses at all. Uh, and not because he did anything wrong. It's just because he was too small. And basically, that's it. So that's what I would be worried about with uh, Eric Garcia. Is that going to hurt us every season? Not if our team defense is good. But is that problem going to be going to come to light when we as a team are not uh, at the top of our game? Sure. Then again, I don't think that one weakness is a reason not to sign him. Another thing I think that we noticed a lot during uh, during yesterday's game is he is not afraid to tell other other players where to position themselves. You saw him constantly communicating, constantly telling his teammates to uh, to shore up the defensive line, uh, to point out the holes that were being created, uh, and you know I like that. Yeah, I mean we've been hearing from the people that we trust, Naveed Mola guy, who we trust for his his views of, of the academy. And he's been watching Eric Garcia since he was 14 years old. I mean, Naveed is probably a similar age, but um, since Eric Garcia was 14 years old. And, you know, Naveed, of course, he's going to support those uh, young players in the Barca Academy, especially as good as what Eric Garcia was. He was a captain all throughout all those different eras in the academy. And, you know, to be honest, yeah, yeah you, you do, do look that through the lens of, okay, is, is people who want him to succeed at the, in the academy, are we just saying he's going to succeed? When Pep Guardiola says, hey, this kid is a really, really good leader, he's a future leader, that's more smoke about that propaganda, right? But then you actually watch it and say that, hey, maybe what Naveed's been saying, maybe what Pep Guardiola has been saying, you know, that two people we trust, maybe what they're saying about him being a really good leader on the field, that's not just blowing smoke. That's not just hyping up this kid. That's saying that there's a reason why all his coaches seem to give him the captain's armband. There is something to leadership that is intangible that you can't say that Carlos Puyol the lion is this great, great leader and then turn around and say, well, no one will ever be Puyo again. No, no one will ever have his particular personality and brand, but leadership is necessary. And we see other center backs. Langley doesn't really do that. Umtiti doesn't really do that. We've seen even Mascherano, he would try to do that. But when PK wasn't in the lineup, there was something missing. And even PK, his brand of leadership is much different than Puyol's. And yes, you can say what, what PK cannot physically do anymore. But you never question his leadership on the field. You can tell that that back line is so much more organized when he's out there. Yeah. And also there's this wonderful anecdote of Guardiola and Eric Garcia, where this was before Eric Garcia uh, began to start matches for Manchester United, uh, Manchester, United Manchester City last season. Uh, he was still a fringe player. And there was a game, and during the warm-up, Pep and uh, the assistant were looking at the opponents and telling each other, hmm, Something's up. Something is different. There was a surprise there. And then Eric Garcia walked by and said, look, they're going to play three in the back. And he said that to Pep as an 18-year-old. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and, and he was right. Yeah. Like, he, he already saw what was going to happen before Guardiola. And uh, his assistant might have been Arteta at the time, might have been another assistant. Uh, I don't remember. That, that is very interesting for a young player to, to be so, so intelligent about the game. Yeah, I mean, I'd rather have him out there and then worry about the other position. And you have to find a compliment. And we've argued that physically, athletically, and numerically, Ronald Araujo would be, I know he's not left-footed, but I mean, he's a great compliment. And I, that's something I can live with for the, the time being moving forward with Ronald Araujo next to him. And then the positional sense of Oscar Mangueta, he's not great in the air, but if you're going to have, I mean, if you're going to have Garcia, then you do consider 
having an Emerson or Mangaitha, whoever's playing the right back, that they're going to adjust their position to Garcia uh, and what that's going to mean. So I, we w- I want to move on real quick from Spain to Netherlands. Before we do prediction time, again, we're going to go through all round of 16 matchups, not in detail, but just quick one-offs. But before that, we have to talk about your Netherlands team. Last time they won the Euro, I want to bring this up, 1988 for our, <laughs> our fans who like the history. Ronald Koeman was the sweeper next to Frank Rijkaard. Those are two names that everyone should know well. And older brother Erwin Koeman was out wide on the wing. So yes, Ronald Koeman does have a brother, Erwin Koeman, who also played and started when they won the 1988 Euros. And two pretty talented guys up top, though. As much as I want to give credit to that back line, the 1988 Netherlands Euro team was they were pretty much led by Ruud Galud and, and Marco Van Basten. If not for those two, they don't, they don't win it. But that was a pretty good generation of players. It was an amazing generation. Yeah, definitely. Especially like Koeman, Rijkaard, Van Basten, Gullit. They were four of the top 10 players in the world Yeah, for, for at least five years. Uh, so uh, Holland was very lucky for, for that team to come together. Uh, unfortunately, they, they enjoyed their own Kool-Aid a little bit too much. And it fell apart way, way too soon. So they really disappointed uh, two years later at, at the World Cup. Yeah. Um, but it was a wonderful tournament. Uh, I still think that Van Basten's final goal is probably the best goal ever uh, at the Euros. And, well, the, th- the funny thing is I was 12 or 11 maybe when, no, I was 10 years old. I was 10 years old when that tournament was played. So for me, it was kind of normal that Holland had so much success. And of course, they haven't won anything ever since. It's also to be expected because we it's a small country. Right, but it is one of the... I, I think the expectations now to jump to, to the future, to jump to present day, the expectations of Netherlands, I think, are very similar to Spain. That while they didn't win all those World Cups, I mean, Netherlands have never won the World Cup, but they always seem to be the you know, the bridesmaid, but never the bride. They always seem to be right there. And even in 2010, when Spain finally got over their hump and won their first World Cup, the Netherlands could have won their first World Cup. And obviously from that Nigel de Young kick that, I mean, that everyone relives on Xavi Halonzo that nobody was, they became the bad guys overnight just because of that, of that, that karate kick. But uh, to the present day, you know, that was all ball. That was all ball. He, he did not touch... Xavi Alonso at all. Well, I think the picture, the freeze frame of it, as is many of the case, if you take a single second, a single image, you can make anybody very look misleading. Like a, right, anybody look like a murderer. Um, but neither yeah, the young, very his, misleading. His the young is a sweetheart. Okay, well, I think his reputation preceded him. That's another issue there, where right, his reputation. So speaking of reputations, though, again, this final point about the Netherlands, Frank de Boer, I think, is the real. That's where the discord is having a worry about the Netherlands, where. You know what you have kind of with Memphis Dubai. We've said he's inconsistent, but he's been consistent at the Euros. He's been good. Frankie de Jong is one of the most consistent players in the world now. He, those two obviously start. Uh, Wijnaldum is really showing up and, and showing form. PSG must be pretty happy with that. Then Frank de Boer has some choices to make. Most likely he'll pick Martin Darun over the young mercurial Ryan Gravenberch from Ajax. And then the other example will be he'll probably go with the experienced striker in Voot Vekerst because he's a little bigger. He has a little bit of hold-up play, set pieces, as opposed to Daniel Marlin, who can come off the bench and kind of just run out quickly. So those are the choices he has to make. But that said, I mean, I cover MLS. For people who don't know, I cover the MLS. I work with MLS. And Frank DeBoer for Atlanta United, 
tactically, I mean, it was, and I, we even spoke to Frances and I, what now almost two years ago, we talked to his brother, Frank's twin brother, Ronald DeBoer. He was on our show as a guest. And uh, when we asked him about his brother's coaching career, he said he takes ideas from everywhere and he tries to learn along the way. And I'm thinking that if he learned from his Atlanta United experience, the Netherlands are in a good spot. But if he didn't learn from what he failed to do for Atlanta United, that's the kind of man that I'm worried for the Netherlands for, who might not make the right decision. And when he gets it wrong, can he get it right mid-match? That's something he struggled with Atlanta United. And that's something that he seems to at least, I mean, they haven't really been tested so far. But when they are tested, where will his resolve be in the choices that he makes? Right. I mean, I, I cannot speak for for Dutch people. The only Dutch person I regularly speak to is my is my father. Uh, what he does tell me is that everybody hates Frank de Boer. And See, you're sad. Your dad well, said it. And, and so I don't have to. Yep. Right. Uh, but to be fair, everybody in Holland also uh, hated the coach that um, um, that did so well in World Cup 2010 because nobody liked the way we played. Um, you know, I was just kidding about the young, of course. Like nobody appreciated that team because it was not Dutch football. It's not what we want to see. It would be, um, imagine if Barcelona went out to play the way that that Holland team in 2010 would play. It wouldn't really even matter if we were successful. The fans here would not would not accept it. They would not tolerate it. So um, Holland is, is the same. And there were a lot of discussions about Frank de Boer not playing 4-3-3. Um, there was even a plane flying over the, the training ground with a banner saying, Frank, just play 4-3-3. Having said that, I think that, you know, um, formations evolve and it's more about how players play together than the, the numbers that you see on the, uh, on the team sheet in the beginning. So uh, if you play 5-3-2, but those wingbacks are constantly pushing up the, the pitch, then is that 5-3-2 or is it 3-4-3 or is it even 3-3-4 at some points during the pitch, yeah. right? So that is not really uh, a problem that I have with Frank de Boer. However, another thing that people don't like is that their own place, because he's not really a Dutch midfielder, but I understand why their own place. Yeah. What, what, what I do not understand at all, or at least what I don't like to understand is uh, Weckhorst. Because the guy just just can't play football. I mean, he's. I think uh, he's a good story. But I. I mean, you bring up the point that why was this player? I mean, it was this. It was a surprise in the Dutch press that he made the final roster anyway. And it was really this story about a guy who just was toiling away, scoring his goals, gets to gets his move to Wolfsburg, and is now playing on a high enough stage, if you will, to kind of put his name in the mix. And so it was this big, you know, all those nice pieces that were written about him about, hey, you know, he wanted this forever. And now what is he, 28, 29 years old? He finally realizes his dream and it comes at a major tournament, right? And so he winds up being a really good story. But you also wonder, hey, why wasn't he here for the last 10 years of his career? Like Graven Birch, we know that he's a, we know that he's a prodigy. We know that he at 18 is already going to be this player that you're going to be watching for the next 13, 14, 15 years. And, you know, and then uh, Vegas to that point, he might be off our TV screens in two years. Like we might not ever hear from him after this tournament. He might be selling TV screens. Well, I don't. I mean, he's a professional <laughs> football for Wolfsburg. You know, he does play for a, for a big club in the Bundesliga. Yeah, and and he I, I, he does score goals, yeah. so we have to give him that. Um, but literally, the only time that you can pass him the ball is if it gives him a scoring opportunity. Like right. 
Yeah. If it's not for him to score, don't give him the goal. Don't give him the ball because you just lose it. Isn't he just Bas Dost 2.0? Yeah, I guess. I never watched Bas Dost uh, play that much, to be honest. So, I don't know. I just get get immensely sad when uh, I watch a team that I root for play football and they play Weghorst. That's... That's pretty much all I can say about it. And yeah. and Malen, uh, he's lively. Uh, he's got a nice touch. Uh, he, he's fast. Uh, he seems to combine well with the pie. He's pretty much everything that Dust is not. Uh, oh, Dust. Now I'm saying it myself. Vekhorst is not. But of course, he's not as clinical. Um, but I prefer to have people that play football and create danger than to have somebody who is only there to finish chances. But that's just my take on this is my way of looking at the game. Yeah, I mean, Memphis Dubai is playing football for the two of them uh, up top with the ball at his feet. But okay, so now it's time for prediction time. I think this is going to be the most fun segment that we're going to have of today's show before we get into the final Barca news. So I'm going to give you the matchup. And I, you know, I, I think everybody wants to hear from you first on each of these. Quick little prediction. And then we move on to the next one. So let us begin with the first one. We're going in chronological order too. So let's start with Wales v. Denmark. Denmark. Did that feel good? or? Yeah, I don't think, I don't think either selection should be in the tournament. Um, I'm not particularly convinced that Denmark should even be in the second round because they lost two games and won just one game in the first round. But um, probably on, on, on emotions alone. Uh, it will give Denmark that that extra push. It's not as if Wales is so great either. So well, yeah, Wales Denmark. has the little bit of star power. That being Gareth Bale, Aaron Ramsey, and then their other two best players this tournament have been Kiefer Moore, who people go, you know who can be you can be googling him, but he's plays for Cardiff City. And then the surprise of Joe Morell of Luton Town. And any listener we have who says that they listen to who watches Luton Town before is absolutely lying. If you're listening to the Barcelona podcast, you're probably not watching Luton Town. But yeah, Joe Morell has been a well again one of those feel good stories, like coming out of left field and just kind of playing in that Wales midfield, and he's been pretty good. Um, But as you bring up, Denmark, first team in Euro history to reach the knockout stages after losing their first two group games. But that also makes sense because with the expansion of more teams playing in the Euro, this was bound to happen mathematically. It just happened to happen already this season. And then Denmark, the thing that makes this game fun is that Denmark has been the most direct side in the tournament. 4.7 direct attacks during the group stage. That is a possession that begins in a team's defensive half and leads to a touch or shot in the opposition penalty area in 15 seconds or less, which means that almost five times a game, Denmark begins their attack in their own half and then already has it up in the other penalty area less than 15 seconds. So they're not wasting any time. They know that the best way to score goals is to take the ball from your own end and to try to get as close to goal as possible. So that's what Denmark's trying to do. So this one could be a shootout. It'll be fun, but I'm going to agree with you that I think Wales are the better team, but I also think the knockout stages don't really care about that. So Denmark for me. Now the next one is Italy versus Austria. Austria, of course. Austria is going to go all the way, man. They're going to beat Italy. Then they're going to beat Portugal. Then they're going to beat France. And then the final, they'll beat Germany. For sure. This is, this is so obvious. <laughs> um, Austria is another team that shouldn't be there. And Italy is a team that is playing a lot better than everybody expects. Uh, I, I can see an upset happening and Italy getting uh, kicked out when we do not expect it, but not against Austria. Easy win for Italy. Yep, 
I agree. 60 shots in three matches for Italy. That'll continue. Austria and Italy were actually three and four in pressure in the attacking third per 90. But Italy did a lot more with those pressures than Austria, who were merely just kind of pressuring and didn't lead to much. Since 1980, when the tournament expanded, no team has won all three group matches and not conceded a goal. That's what makes this Italian team a, a bit special under Mancini. And then I think the only reason I would go for Italy no matter what was this. Marco uh, Arnatovic is one of the most unlikable players that I've ever seen in world football. He truly is. And then David Alaba does play for Real Madrid now. So it's hard rooting for a guy that in Alaba who I rooted for a long time. Now he's a Real Madrid center back. So I don't need him feeling good about himself going into the, the next season. So yes, Italy 100%. All right, next so, one. Solid reasoning. And Arnatovic <laughs> has always been unlikable. Oh my gosh, he is. Just <laughs> Google him. I don't, we don't even have time to get into it. Just Google him. He's exhausting. Uh, Netherlands versus Czech Republic here. I, I think I'll go first on this. While Patrick Schick did have the golden tournament against Scotland, and I think this Czech Republic's side, even though it's not a lot of household names, they are much more of a well-built, more some of their parts team who... When we talk about offensive pressures, they're one of those teams that I was talking about when I said not a lot of big names, but they attack, they want to attack, and they want to play football. So this could be another one of those shootouts. The Netherlands is better, and I think the Netherlands' better hope is it doesn't go to PKs with a 1-1 or 2-2 match. But I, the Netherlands should win this match. Um, Netherlands should win it, but I don't rule out an upset either. So it'll be a fun match, that's for sure. I think so far, uh, so far... Dutch matches have been fun. Um, and we're still waiting for an opponent who knows how to deal with uh, Dumfries. True. Yeah, he's been really, really good. I mean, yeah. and PSV, you think that he's, what, 25, 26 now? You'd have to think that this is going to be the summer where he gets moved. But or PSV might not be able to find a price that they're comfortable with. So if anything, he might leave next summer. But you get the feeling that this is the summer now. I think, I think he'll probably move on this summer on the strength of this tournament. Yeah. Somebody's going to take that risk and they're probably going to pay more than he's worth. Yep. Yeah. Um, because it's a typical tournament where you see somebody playing really well, uh, but he's actually not that great. So, you know, um, I'm happy for him because he's having the time of his life and, and he deserves it, but he's not going to keep up these numbers. No. Well, yeah, historically, again, he's 25, 26 years old, and this is uncharacteristic, but a Premier League club only cares about the moment because the moment is what helps you stay up in the Premier League. So that's why a lot of Premier League clubs, especially with the money being thrown around there, that, yeah, I, I think he's, I'd say 85% chance, 90% chance he's going to the UK. All right, next one is Belgium versus Portugal. This might be the, I mean, I know England versus Germany thinks it's the biggest match of the round of 16, but I think Belgium-Portugal might be the biggest match of the round of 16. No, England-Germany, because of the history, is the biggest match. Because there's just not that much history between Belgium and Portugal. Oh, of course not. Yeah. Um, but in terms of uh, just star quality... That's what I'm arguing. It will, it will be Belgium-Portugal. Uh, I, I think Belgium has the more attractive team. Uh, they have De Bruyne, who is one of the best five players in the world. Uh, they have Lukaku, who's possibly the best number nine in the world right now. But Portugal just has that attitude that can see them beat opponents even if they don't play better football than their opponents. I know, I know. That's why I said yeah. that they were top three favorite. And that's why I, I, I hate sticking by it. But I do think Portugal is going to win this one. And crazy enough to say, is Nelson Semedo the key here? He was terrible against Germany, but better against Kylian Mbappe. And if he can help shut down 
Hazard or whoever else is floating around, and uh, that's either Hazard, uh, <laughs> and he can just stop those wings and stop that ball distribution from the wings into Lukaku, and Lukaku doesn't have the distribution that he'd want from, from the out wide, then Portugal have a shot. So if Nelson Semedo mm-hmm. has a good day, Portugal could wind up winning this match. I think Belgium is better off playing Carrasco than Hazard on the left. Yeah, I mean, I agree because, with that too. Yep. Yeah, you, don't, you don't really need a playmaker uh, if you already have De Bruyne. Yep. What do you need Hazard for? It's, it's better to have that speed and that directness that Carrasco, Carrasco provides them than whatever Hazard gives them. So Belgium, so you're going Portugal as well? Yeah, I'm going with Portugal, yep. unfortunately. Unfortunately, we agree. <laughs> okay, <laughs> next one is Croatia-Spain. Uh, Croatia, obviously, no, even Rakitic, he retired, and uh, Mandzukic did the same. So many, but many of the same players anyway, though, who made the final of the World Cup, including that midfield with Modric, Brozovic, and uh, Kovacic, all around. And then we already talked about Spain here. So Croatia versus Spain. I think Spain is the better team. Yeah, me too. Yeah, so Spain to go through. And one of the reasons I think that is, I think Luis Enrique, I'd be surprised if he didn't start Villarreal and then the former Espanol, Gerard Moreno. I can't stand him. He's, again, one of Gerard Pique, as mentioned. He's one of the most hateable guys that he's ever worked with. But that said, uh, Spain, they're just more dynamic. No offense to Danny Olmo, but Gerard Moreno is a goal scorer. And I think he compliments Morata, Morata just by helping Morata get things forward, thinking towards the goal. <laughs> just, just thinking yeah. in that direction. Yeah, I've been a bit uh, disappointed with Olmo. Yeah. This tournament, I expected more from him. I had him on my fantasy team. Mm. Uh, uh, guess what? He's not there anymore. <laughs> well, I think he did struggle a bit after the move from Zagreb to Leipzig just because they have so many players to play in those positions. And I would give him another year to adapt to that kind of football. It's just an entirely different style. The way that RB Leipzig play is an entirely different style than what most other teams play in the world. It's high intensity, high octane pressure from start to finish. And it's just different. I, I don't know if that was the right fit for him. And if he's moved on in a year or two, I wouldn't be surprised either, just because it, it, he may never be comfortable. And I, there's a really good football in there, obviously. We see it. Uh, next up, France versus Switzerland. Again, I don't rule out an upset. Uh, I had France as the favorites to start of the tournament, but they're just not playing very well, are they? But I think they are. I think they aren't, but they're playing the way they want to play. And they're, they, they're reminding me of Spain in 2010, where they have the superior players, and they're just winning games the way that they would want to play. Meaning, one nothing is fine by them because it's a controlled mm-hmm. one nothing win. And so, as much as France hasn't been good in terms of like banging a lot of goals in, I think they're far superior to what Switzerland has. And I agree with you. If they get upset by Spain or Croatia in the next round, that's not crazy to me. When they when they're facing off against players that are arguably just as talented as they are at a few positions at least or a bunch of positions. But I mean Switzerland has not been good. I think this actually comes down to Switzerland just not being good enough for this one. Shakiri and Seferovic, they came out to play against Turkey, but they might have been the worst team in the tournament, that being Turkey. So I don't think Switzerland's proven anything. And no. yeah, I mean if it gets a PK is any anything is an upset, but Paul Pogba has also been superb. I want to throw that in there. I agree that it's unlikely, but what sometimes happens when a, a group of really good players just don't win matches convincingly, whether it's because they missed chances the way they did against uh, Hungary, whether it's because they just decided to defend for 45 minutes, like against Germany, or whether it was because against Portugal, well, Portugal was just so much better than them. Um, sometimes the d- dynamics can be such that they'll have a match against lowly Switzerland where France will have 25 shots and Switzerland will have one goal 
So I, I don't rule it out. I, obviously, France is the favorites, and nine out of ten times they'll uh, they'll go through. And I'm going to say France is going to win. But France do not look as good as uh, we were all saying before the tournament started. Yeah, I mean, I think Antoine Griezmann has been one of their best players, and I don't know what that says about France, but that's a discussion <laughs> for another time. Uh, England versus Germany, as you said, it's the one that the media is obviously playing up because it's the one with the history. England has been boring. <laughs> England has not been great to watch, and Germany has been a roller coaster in the last tournament under Jurgi Love. But yeah, England versus Germany. I mean, which Germany is going to show up? The right. Germany that played exactly. against Hungary or the Germany that played against Portugal? There's a big difference right there. I think Germany is probably more motivated against England, and I think Germany will win. Yeah, I mean, the decision for Gareth Southgate to play his attacking players like Jack Grealish, will he start? Most likely not, though. I mean, and I'm sorry to Jaden Sancho fans, but he's not sniffing the pitch at all because they're, uh, they're going with a, a certain style. That's what, the way Gareth Southgate is playing. That said, I can see England scoring on the counterattack. So I'm actually going to say England here just because I think they're going to get a counterattack goal and figure it out. So I could see them winning one nothing. I can see them winning 2-1. Or I could see it going to penalty kicks and England winning on penalty kicks. Believe it or not, I know there's a curse there, but I don't think there is. I think uh, most of these English players are battle-tested. They've been in big spots before. And penalty kicks, they're scary, but I, I think there's they don't these national teams don't carry with them the weight of the past like they used to, I think. I, I think there's a lot of... I don't know what it is, but it's just... I think it's because domestic football is so international now anyway that you're there's right. world-renowned superstars anyway. That So like a, a Kai Havertz, he just scored in the Champions League final and he scored again against Hungary to save Germany. He's, what, 21 years old? And so Germany will want to open up Engl uh, England up for sure and Kai Havertz will be a part of that. But just talking about the mentality of Kai Havertz, yes, it's very German. It's very, you know, Ram Deuter, just like Thomas Müller. It's very, hey, I'm out here to do a job. You know, I don't care about expectations of the past or whatever. I'm just here to play. And so I, I think when it comes to modern young footballers like Kai Havertz, there are some between the ears, but the modern player like Havertz, again, scoring the Champions League final one week and then trying to perform against England in the Euros, it, it doesn't matter to them. They're, you know what I mean? Like, they're just concerned with that. They're mm. their game of Fortnite after the fact. Yeah, well, I don't know. You're talking about penalty kicks and how the English players are more battle-hearted now, but how many of those English players actually take penalties for their clubs? That is a good point. I got it in Harry uh, Kane, yeah. And it's it, it's quite a young team. I think Kane is having a terrible tournament. Yeah. By the way, um, Kane is one of those players who I, I know I know that he's good. Obviously, I know yeah. that he's good. It's just every time that I watch England or Tottenham, he does not look good. And I always watch the games in which he doesn't score for some reason. I'm not very impressed with Southgate either. I don't know why Sancho is not playing. Um, I don't know why in what was a must-win game almost for England, uh, Foden was not playing or why Foden is always subbed out. Yeah, I, just, I don't understand why Trippier was started on the left. I don't know what Southgate is doing with that team. Uh, Germany will win. Yeah, I, I'm going to go England for those reasons because I think Germany is the better team. I w obviously, it's not surprising if either team wins, but yeah, I'm going to go England just to be, just be different. We have to disagree on one. Sweden versus Ukraine. Alexander Isak... Emil Forsberg, the ageless Marcus Berg, uh, Sebastian Larsson, and Mikhail Lustig, all three of them, in they're all 34, 35, 36. And then again, Isak and Forsberg being the better players. They're just way better than Ukraine. 
Uh, defensively, they were so solid against Spain. They had the best defensive metrics in the tournament. And then offensively against Poland, they had their backs against the wall. They got the job done to win the group. So, I mean, Sweden, I think this, I would make the argument, this might be the most lopsided. We, you know, we just talked about France-Switzerland. Now that we get to the end, this might be the most lopsided, not in terms of goals, but just in terms of one team being so much better to win this matchup than the other one. I think Sweden are that much better than Ukraine. I was very impressed with Ukraine when they played Holland. But then again, our defense did kind of make it easy for them. But I like the football that they're playing. Um, however, Sweden will just sit back and defend and bore and frustrate the hell out of Ukraine. And they'll probably score a goal. Isaac hasn't scored yet, so he's probably going to get one. He deserves it. Yeah. I'll go with Sweden as well. Yeah, so that is it. That's our round of 16 predictions. As we finish up the show, we've got three more quick talking points here. I ask you, how seriously are you taking that Barcelona need to free up enough from the wage bill? That being around 100 million euros was being reported to bring back Messi and fit within La Liga's financial fair play rule. So how seriously are you taking that? I think, I don't think Tebas will allow Barcelona to really get into trouble. I think Tebas needs Barcelona and Madrid. So um, I think we might get some sort of exemption or some sort of um, help that we did not expect uh, simply because of the pandemic and the role that the pandemic played in the planning. Uh, because to be fair, yeah, Bartomeu made a mess of it. We all knew what a mess he was making uh, even before uh, the coronavirus hit us. But the revenue was such that, you know, had COVID not arrived, we would not be in the situation right now. Mm-hmm. And um, I do think that, you know, as long as the players that we sign are free and we show that we try to get rid of players that we have, I think some exception will probably be made for us. Yeah, I mean, if as, yeah, as long as there is positive movement, which there seems to be. Remember, this was 671 million euros in, ni- in 2019-20. Outrageous. And so I think there is legal discourse that the La Liga may be willing to work with Barcelona about. That's it too on the selling team that I haven't really given credit to. It's basically a committee now with Rafael Yuste, Matteo Alemani. Remember, Roman Plana stayed on, right? We yep. thought he was going to be kicked out, but he stayed on. And Jordi Cruyff has now been completely brought into the fold. So basically, it's the four of them who are this committee to try to figure out how to sell players on. So as, as dire as the situations are, when we talk about Coutinho, we talk about MTD, and we talk about the high wages that other teams don't want to pay. You can't change that fact, but you can throw as many important voices basically at the wall as possible and hope that one of these four guys can strike gold somewhere with one or two of these players. So it's, it's, Barca's clearly going all out to do what they have to, which is, again, how low is the bar for us to be happy mm-hmm. about that? But the bar was so low, I'm happy to see that they're all hands on deck to try to get players off the wage bill. And try to, of course. try to sell on players that the players that should be sold are the ones that we know are they're trying to sell. Of course, La Liga could say, well, you know, this is your problem. Sell Frankie de Jong. And that's going to solve yeah. both part of your wage bill and it's going to give you the income to help offset uh, the rest of the players who, who, who are making a lot of money who we are not selling. So yeah. who knows? I mean, Ricky Bush would get some playing time then. People would be happy about that, but... Uh. <laughs> at the, right, <laughs> at the price of Frank the Young, it's not worth it. Well, speaking of La Masia players, uh, Adama Traore answered a question about keeping the door open to return to Barca and people whipped on him for a day. So that happened. 
Uh, I don't really have any comment to that. I mean, I think Adorno Traore, I, you know, he's a fun player. I think people over, I mean, I think people overdo the whole muscle aesthetic and the way he physically looks. Look at the player that he is. He just, he's a different player. He's a player that plays out on the wing. I enjoy watching him for, for Wolves. I think he just adds a different dynamic, but I think it's unfair to him to say he couldn't fit in Barca, but also I think he's just that tier two. I don't know if he's a player that really, really realistically fits into what Barcelona are trying to do, especially when you have Ansu Fadi, when you have Memphis coming in, when you have Griezmann. It just it, it doesn't make sense on the field. And so I don't need to I don't need to rip on a player to say that I don't think it that deal would make sense right now. No, I mean Adami, I, I actually lived in this neighborhood for six years. Uh, in L'Hospitalet uh, and in the part of L'Hospitalet where he's from. So I talked to plenty of people who, who either met him or knew him. And by all accounts, he's a decent guy. Um, ha- having said that, this rumor that was floated where we would send Trincao to, to England and get Adama back, that's just insane. Yeah. Because as much as people criticize Trincao, Trincao is a much better footballer. Well, I mean, it makes sense just because Trincao's agent is Jorge Mendez, who basically runs Wolves. So, I mean, it all the the, the, the lines and dots connected that, listen, if this was the Bartomeu, uh, the Bartomeu regime, was, was that a crazy idea? <laughs> right? Like, I mean, you could see it happening. You it makes it, sense it, for it makes, Mendez. It does yeah. not make sense for us or Trincao, you know, like, yeah, well, why would the benefit be for us? Well, the benefit for Trincao would be if he's guaranteed a starting minutes, like if he's guaranteed... X amount of whatever just by making that that move. That's if you want to go from Barcelona to Wolverhampton. Well, well I mean, you know. but that's what I mean. If he was going to any club that I would... So if we were to send... So let me change this a little bit. If Trincao needs to go out on loan and Trincao isn't sold this summer, one of the te- I mean, one of the teams that should be at the top of the list would be Wolverhampton because, what, 40% of their squad is Portuguese. They have a Portuguese coach. They, ha- I mean, they're, again, they're basically run by Jorge Mendes. And it's a place for him to feel comfortable in the UK, in a new country, and to get some minutes at a, another high level. So I think Wolves would be on my short list of the teams that he should highly consider going out on loan to. If not, to go back to Portugal, to go to Porto or to Benfica. Benfica's trying to get a little younger here. So, I mean, there are. I think there are other options, but oh. I'd say Wolves are on my short list for teams that I'd loan him to. Fine. Or sell him to Wolverhampton for 30 or 40 million. Don't trade him and get yeah. a 25-year-old back who is... Nowhere near as good as he is. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That's why, as I brought this up to have this discussion about uh, rumors that just happened, just because I feel I actually feel bad for the academy players when they're always asked about Barcelona and returning because I mean they <laughs> he didn't choose to be in the new you know what I mean like they they don't want to be in the new cycle he knows if he's coming to Barca or not and the answer is likely he's not. Okay, so final thing from the show. I don't, I'm not going to have much to say about this, but I, I know you will. This is what we were talking about. I saved the best for last. And I said no profanity, Levon. So this is a no profanity. It's a clean podcast. Sorry. But yes, the away goal has been abolished in the Champions League. So the thing that has hurt Barca over the last few seasons, uh, well, it did its final damage to Barca, and now it's gone away. No profanity? Nope. No, I, I'm, I don't have the time to bleep you today. So I, I say no profanity. No comments. <laughs> As in comment, comment without profanity withheld, right? <laughs> no, it's, I don't like penalty shootouts. I agree. Um, I, I, I think penalty shootouts already are a bigger problem than, uh, than away goals. So now we're getting rid of away goals and we're just making the other problem worse because we'll have more penalty shootouts. And what's going to happen also is uh, a lot of times the weaker team or the more defensive team 
knows that they'll have a better chance at winning the game by defending and then taking their chance in a, in a penalty shootout than actually playing football, especially as the game progresses and they get closer to the end. So what we are going to see is teams defending more in order to, to reach a penalty shootout and then they go through on penalties or not. But it's just such a, it's just such a ridiculous decision. Well, yeah, I mean, I think already the Champions League has had kind of a problem, maybe not the recent three to four years, but we'll say to be, and, and not when Barcelona were winning, but in the mid-2000s in particular, and going all the way back to the 90s, and the early 90s when the UK teams were after Liverpool and Everton and whatever, after, those were all, when they were not eligible for those few years, the best teams are not winning the Champions League. And the whole point of the Champions League is the champions to have the best of the best win this cup. And so... When Real Madrid a few years ago won three straight, Real Madrid were not the, the best team in Europe three straight years. I mean, you've, you watch the Liga from week to week, you know, far from it. And so how do you make it so that the best teams win their matches in the Champions League? So they, the, the, the deserving champions win. Counter argument to this is that it does leave, if money and UEFA, I think UEFA knows this and FIFA knows this, that the best teams are which teams now? The ones with the most money, duh. If you have more money, you have better players, and you go farther in the Champions League. And I'm wondering if this also doesn't have to do with giving those other teams a chance, giving them a shot in the knockouts where they just they know that losing to PSG isn't completely inevitable because in one match they can just survive and get the PKs. And then it's, you know, for the memes and for the lols and for the for the trolls, Mbappe and, and Neymar miss penalties, and now whoever it may be. I mean, I don't want to drag in Atlanta or Napoli or whoever it may be that, because Atlanta, you know, they go for it. So they're a bad example. But yeah, I mean, let's say a team, whoever it may be. I mean, Tot- I mean, Jose Mourinho on his Tottenham team, even though they don't have a manager now, but wherever Jose Mourinho goes next, let's put it that way. Jose Mourinho's next team versus PSG. What do you think Jose Mourinho's team is going to do? Obviously. And I agree with you. <laughs> it's going to lead to a PK and nobody wants to see that, but it does give a chance for those smaller teams. And I think what we will see the inverse of what you're saying is that I think the dominant teams are still are going to be even more dominant. Now. I don't think this actually hurts those teams. I think this just means that the better, the the more, the the richer teams are just going to be the ones who are going to to carry on. And I think this is not going to help parity at all. Oh, but you might even see it with uh, uh, rich teams playing against other rich teams. If they know that, if if they know that the opponent is better. Yeah, and who wants? And I'm excited to watch that for sure. You know, um, yeah, I just think that penalties is a terrible way to decide a game. I think there are more fun things that we can we can invent. Yeah, what are your thoughts of going back to the 1996 MLS penalty shootouts, where they they run, they dribble up with the ball, and then the goalie comes out? <laughs> I would actually like to see that. Yeah, I I saw it on YouTube once. I and, may, I, may have um, I may have cut it. So. Uh, oh, okay. Look at that. No, it's 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 interesting. It's interesting. Uh, what I would like to see is uh, the moment that you go to extra time, uh, you just play on one half of the pitch. And I mean, um, if, say, this is the pitch, you play on this half. You put a goal here, you put a goal here, and you play five on five. That would be fun. I mean, yes, that's a little more radical. I was going to meet you somewhere in the middle, and I was going to say you lose two players. So I say you go eight v eight. Even if it's yeah. still full field, I mean these are. Have you ever have you ever played football? Yeah, I mean, of course I played football, and no, it's a... so at 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 the end of ninety minutes, you want to play 
nine players on each half. Well, yeah, but it's uh, nine, nine players on a full pitch. Well, it's golden goal. Nine against knife. Yeah, but extra time is golden goal. Why? Well, I think that's okay. Okay, so I think we finally got there. I think we finally got there. I think golden goal is a thing that needs to be brought back. That's I, that's the only answer. Like you can't go the 120 minutes. A, a team has to know that if they score a goal, the game is over. Okay. Well, I mean, you you cover hockey, right? Yeah. So in the playoffs, what do they do in game seven? If it's a tie at the end. I mean, the New York Islanders tonight, by the time you're hearing this, I'm either going to be really sad or, or really happy. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, they go for it. That's what they do. They... No, but like how many overtimes do they play? As many as it takes. That's true in the playoffs. It, as many as it takes. But it doesn't mean they're not going for it the whole time. I don't know. Are we no, get... so, so that golden goal, yeah, you might be onto something. I, I think that Just... has to. That, I mean, that's. I think that's the, the thing that makes the most sense. Because then you're only talking about when... Yeah, I mean, it's going to happen a lot, I think, when the ties are, are matched up. I mean, are, are, are you're tied after the full two legs. But, yeah, we'll see. I, I don't think we're going to come up with the answer, and I don't think Grace is listening to us. So I'll give you the final word. What about a third match, like they do in the FA Cup? Well, like they used to. but it's Money. Yeah, it's money, but the players are already playing too much football. There's no way yeah, that that's I would, true. There's no way that I'd be okay with that. I mean, no, I agree. I mean, UEFA would hear you go, "Oh, more matches, more money." <laughs> Great idea, Levon. I think UEFA would <laughs> be down for that, but no, I don't think the players would like that. I don't think we'd want to watch that um, anyway. But all right, I think we did a lot today. We again, we got our predictions out. If you want to leave us your predictions, you can hit us up. Uh, you know where to find him, uh, Barcelona on Twitter. You can find me, Hilton D13, or on Twitter and Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. Close Facebook group is the Barcelona Podcast. Patreon is how we keep making these shows. Always, always appreciate them. I'm trying to have a, a few more fun things going on there, too. So it's a little incentive to support the show. And there are also no ads when you listen to these over on Patreon. And we're on YouTube with those matches at the Barcelona Podcast. Most importantly, thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Bis Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.